Bible today, let's open up to Psalms 98. As tonight, we're actually going to cover uh, four Psalms, but don't worry, they're short. And, uh, and they're actually uh, really uh, cool. They have a lot of neat information. Uh, and, and Psalm 98 is another one of those joyful songs about God's salvation but, but it's also a, a psalm that, that not only shows us how God wins, but how God warns as well. You know, it's an awesome thing that the Lord's righteousness has been offered and revealed, not only to Israel, but to all the nations. And so we're going to see in this psalm that he calls the whole world to salvation before it's too late. Why? Because Jesus is coming. And so uh, notice what we read here in Psalm 98. It's a psalm, and it says in verse 1, O sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have gained him the victory. The Lord has made known his salvation, his righteousness. He has revealed in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his mercy and his faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. You know, and when you look at the context here, you know, it has to do with the way that God has saved Israel. And you guys know their history. I mean, here they are today, uh, still around, even though the enemy has opposed them every step of the way, tried to annihilate them, uh, whether it be the Babylonians or the Persians or the Romans or, or the, you know, others uh, throughout history. But they still stand. There's a testimony. They're assigned to the world. And, and that's kind of what he's saying right here when it, when it comes to Israel. You know, and, and yet at the same time, it has to do not just with physical salvation for a nation, but it has to do with spiritual salvation. And so uh, sing to the Lord, verse 1, a, a new song. Why? For he has done marvelous things. We read there in verse 1. Now, the Hebrew word translated marvelous is the same Hebrew word. It's linked to the, ver- the, the verse in Isaiah 9, verse 6, where the Bible says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And, and, uh, and it says, And the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful. And so, you know, the, the marvelous things that God has done the wonderful things that God has done. You know, what he's saying is sing to the Lord for that. You know, I mean, notice again there in verse 1, his right hand and his holy arm. Those are, are, are descriptions of God's strength. His strength, it says, has gained him the victory. And I can't help but think of Jesus when I read that there in verse 1. And then in verses 2 and 3, Really, it speak of the amazing witness of the salvation of the nation of Israel because, you know, when they came out of Egypt, uh, the Egyptians saw that and the Canaanites, the other nations, they heard about it. Did you hear what God did? Did you hear the way that he sent 10 plagues and he set those people free? I mean, you know, it, it was just a testimony for everyone to see. Some saw, they all heard about what God did. And so um, what he mentions right there in verse 3, his faithfulness, his mercy to the house of, of Israel, all the ends of the earth have seen 
the salvation of our God. And so we go on to read in verse 4. So he says, shout joyfully to the Lord all the earth. Break forth. I kind of like that concept. Break forth. Like I think of break dancing or break out, you know, just kind of explode, man. In song, rejoice and sing praises. Sing to the Lord with the harp, with the harp and the sound of a psalm, with trumpets and the sound of a horn. Shout joyfully before the, the Lord, the King. And I like this. Notice, let the sea roar in all its fullness, the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills be joyful together before the Lord. And and when you read that, man, do you guys get excited? I mean, this is like a celebration. And I, and I know a lot of you here, you're like me. You're more introverted, right? You're uh, calm. And uh, But some of you here... Maybe, are there any extroverts here? You guys are, you get all crazy and stuff? You know, um, I think that when Jesus comes, when Jesus comes, we are all going to immediately be extroverts. And besides, those of us that are Christians, we're going to be coming with them, right? But imagine the celebration of that day. And that's what he's talking about right here. Verse 4 is shouting joyfully. You know, we raise the praise and it's an interesting invitation to all the earth. And so we're talking about upbeat songs and, you know, rejoicing with our voice and instruments, harps, trumpets, horns, pianos, guitars, and not just instruments created for worship, but creation itself joins in with the worship. And we read that in Romans chapter 8 as well, where the Bible says the whole, you know, all creation is groaning for that day. The sea is roaring. The rivers, I like this, the rivers are clapping their hands. And the hills, they join in with joy. Why? Why? And we read it there in verse 9. For he is coming. He is coming to judge the earth with righteousness. He shall judge the world and the peoples with equity. And so verse 9 it's kind of, you know, when you think of Jesus coming uh, to judge the earth, um, you know, there, there might be a part of you that says, yes, Lord is, is going to deal with all the evil. It'll end. And that, that's a beautiful thing. You know, that's a wonderful thing because we see so much suffering, sickness, death, all the awful stuff, you know, just to know that that will end. It's going to end, you know. And then not only that, but, you know, then there's the, you know, the thousand years that Jesus is judging. Imagine how awesome that time will be. Uh, and, and when we look at this right here, we see, man, Lord, this is so cool. God saves his people. God rules his people. But at the same time, it, it, like I said, this is a psalm that says he wins. But it's also a psalm that says he warns. Because if you don't know the Lord... You're going to be judged. And that's why the encouragement from Christians always is, you know, man, give your life to Christ. Don't play church. You know, don't mess around. Don't have one foot in, one foot out. Because next thing you know, you know, you might be going in the wrong direction. You know, always have that, that, that healthy fear of God. For those who reject him, we need to know that Jesus is coming again as, as judge. And so uh, Psalm 99, um, again, it's beautiful. 
You know, one of the songs that I sing when I, worship, when I work out is a song. It's an old song called Hosanna. And so you guys know what Hosanna means? Save now. Save now, Lord. And, uh, and, and the song, it talks about how when the king of glory comes on the clouds with fire, the whole earth shakes. And every time I, I hear it, I just, I just, I'm in awe of that, man. When the king of glory comes, you know, in fire and clouds, the whole earth, it shakes. And that's kind of what we read in, in 99 in verse 1. It says, the Lord reigns. Let the peoples tremble. He dwells between the cherubim. Let the earth be moved. The Lord is great in Zion, and he is high above all the peoples. Let them praise your great and awesome name. He is holy. And so the the Lord is, is sovereign. The Lord reigns. And that means that he's seated on the throne. That means he's in control of all things. And, and as the Lord reigns, and if you think about it, even during the millennial kingdom, because a lot of people think, well, this is in reference to, in many ways, the millennial kingdom, he rules with a rod of iron. He rules with a rod of iron. And so it says right there, let the peoples tremble. It reminds me of Isaiah 66, verse 2. It says, we tremble at his word, Right? And so, um, you know, he dwells, it says in verse 1, between the cherubim, let the earth uh, be moved. And, and in this case, it's an earth, it's movement, you know, to, to worship. It's a mo- movement to obedience. You know, he, he dwells between the cherubim. And what that's in reference to is symbolically seen on the lid of the mercy seat. You guys remember the Ark of the Covenant? You go into the Holy of Holies and you would have the Ark of the Covenant there. It's all laid in gold. And on top, there would be two cherubim. And so they would be seating, uh, they would be with their wings, like kind of like worshiping towards the middle of the, of the mercy seat. Really nothing there. But when the, when the high priest would come in once a year, he would take the blood and he would sprinkle it right there between the cherubim, right there on the lid of the Ark of the Covenant. And to me, that's fascinating because right there where the blood is, is right there where the throne is. And it's interesting how it says he dwells between the cherubim. That's where his throne is, right there where the blood is. And, and when I think about that, I don't know if that moves you, you know, I think that that means while he is our, our ruler, uh, he's our redeemer, you know, that our God, you know, died for us. And that's why verses 2 and 3 make so much more sense. I mean, the Lord is great in Zion. He's high above all the peoples. Let them praise your great and awesome name. He is holy. And we go on to read in verse 4 that the king's strength also loves justice you have established equity. You have executed justice and righteousness in Jacob. Exalt the Lord our God and worship at his footstool. He is holy. And, and when, I, when, I, uh, when I read this right here, verse 5 we're going to see is kind of repeated later in the psalm. That's probably the emphasis of the psalm that, that God is holy. Uh, 
I've got to tell you a little story here. Um, this morning I woke up, and uh, I don't, it's been a while since I, I, I listened to this one song. But have you guys ever heard of that Christian group, Shane and Shane? Have you guys ever heard of them? Shane and Shane, they have a song called Exalt the Lord. And it's actually a song that goes back to my early days as a Christian. Uh, my wife and I, we got saved in 89, and we served at Calvary Chapel, West Covina, and now it's in Golden Springs. But they used to sing that song back then. And uh, I remember, you know, it has the guys, you know, singing Exalt the Lord our God. And then, and then the women, the sisters, they echo it. Exalt the Lord our God. And then, you know, for he is holy. And, and it's just such an awesome song. It is an awesome song of just you get getting enraptured in his holiness. And so I've told you guys before, sometimes what I'll do, not always, but sometimes I'll throw on my earphones and I'll just get on my face and I'll worship like that. And so today, I just, I happened to, to go to that song and I was worshiping and then, you know, I got up and I text messaged all my friends, the guys, that song. I said, I don't know if you guys have heard this song, but this goes way back and I wanted to just share it with you guys. And little did I know that that's, that's what we're studying tonight. That verse, it's based on this verse. Exalt the Lord our God, for he is holy. And I know, and I know for sure the Lord was speaking to me. You know, even yesterday in the Bible college class, Henry and Angel, some of the guys are there, my daughter, that we were talking about uh, that section in the Psalms uh, one of the things that when, you, when you're reading the Psalms is you want to make sure that you understand who God is. You want to get a good picture of God. And, and you, one of the things you'll see in the Psalms is, is his holiness. You know, and Isaiah 6, it says, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Never in the Bible do you see love, love, love. It doesn't say that about God. Mercy, mercy, mercy. It doesn't say that about God. Grace, grace, grace. It doesn't say that about God. It says holy, holy, holy is the Lord our God. It's the overriding attribute of God. And that's why it's so so important that that we understand who he is because when when we understand who he is, and how he's made us holy in Christ, and how we're to be holy, it's a life-changing truth for us. And, and so that's what he's saying right here. Exalt the Lord, our God. And, and notice it says, and worship at his footstool. Now that's interesting because um, you're like, well, why his footstool? Did you know that in ancient days, they would actually take uh, the, the uh, images of, of a king's enemies that he's conquered, and they would place them on the, on the king's footstool. So they've actually found, uh, there was one Egyptian pharaoh, uh, King Tutankhamun, or something like that. I have the name. And, uh, and they, had, they found his footstool, and it had his enemies all in this footstool, uh, some carving, some painting. And uh, what it is is when the king sits on his throne, because it wasn't, nowadays we have footstools everywhere, but there was just for kings sitting on the throne and he puts his feet on his footstool. And all his enemies underneath his feet. And that is where we worship. Where God has defeated all of our enemies. You see, he's on the throne. 
And that's what he's trying to say here. Exalt him. Worship him. I know we go through hard times. I know for a fact there's a million things in our life that we don't understand. But we worship him because we know that he works all things together for good. And he has defeated all our enemies. And so we read in in verse 6, Moses and Aaron were among his priests and Samuel was among those who called upon his name. They called upon the Lord and, and he answered them. He spoke to them in the cloudy pillar. They kept his testimonies and the ordinance he gave them. You answered them, O Lord our God. You were to them God who forgives. Though you took vengeance on their deeds, exalt the Lord our God and worship at his holy hill, for the Lord our God is holy. And so as he's calling us to holiness, it's interesting how now he mentions Moses and Aaron and Samuel He mentions them here as priests because of the fact that they were intercessors. I mean, Moses, what an amazing intercessor he was. When all the people, you know, were so, um, I mean, just bad. I mean, he stood in the gap for them, you know. That's why I wore this T-shirt tonight. G-A-P stands for God Answers Prayer, just in case you're wondering, why is Manny wearing that T-shirt? You know, I want to stand in the gap. Lord, help me to stand in the gap. Anyways... Moses and Aaron and Samuel, they did that. They stood in the gap. They were priests, and, and that's what priests are, right? And, 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 and it's so cool the way he summarizes their life, you know, how it says they kept his testimonies and, and the ordinance he gave them, how these guys were obedient to God's word, but, but even how God answered their prayers. What an awesome summary of, of a life that their prayers were answered, and that they kept God's word. They were priests. And of course, we know a priest represents God to the people. You know, and while he's preaching and hopefully witnessing and, and, and shining, uh, sharing, but then he also represents the people to God, right, as he's praying for them. And so, you know, now we're all priests, according to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, and 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, we're all priests, and we can all represent God to the people. All of us here can represent the people to God. And, and, and so, you know, these guys, it's kind of cool. So they spoke to God, and God heard their word. And then in verse 7, God spoke to them. Look again at verse 7. He spoke to them in the cloudy pillar. And it's so cool that as a Christian... God speaks to us. Yes, he's given us his word, but he's also given us his Holy Spirit. And he, and he just puts things on our heart. And if we're listening and if we're watching, we'll see that God is always speaking and God is leading our life. And that's where they were, right? You know, and so, you know, in verse 8, you know, he talks about how God answered them You were to them God who forgives, and praise God for that. But did you notice what we read in verse 8b, though you took vengeance on their deeds? And so, you know, God didn't wipe out the people because Moses stood in the gap, but the people wandered in the wilderness. 
right? For 40 years they were in the wilderness. You know, when you, when you see the way that, you know, this it made a difference, thank God the, the Lord has forgiven them of their sins when they, all the things that the nation of Israel did. It was crazy, huh? Almost as bad as you guys. I mean, it's just pretty crazy the things they did, the way they would complain and the way, you know, that they uh, committed idolatry. And remember, idolatry is anytime you put anyone or anything before God. And, you know, that's what they did or the sexual sin or whatever it was. You know, God forgave them, but, you know, they suffered the consequences a lot of times. And so he teaches us this principle right here. You know, uh, not just congregationally, I thought it was interesting, even personally. You know, Aaron uh, was impatient, unwilling to follow God and, and lead the people. He couldn't restrain them. Uh, in Numbers chapter 12, we know Aaron spoke against Moses. God saw that. So Aaron didn't go into the promised land. And you guys know Moses, too. He wasn't perfect, but, but he did sin. Uh, Moses lost his temper in front of all the congregation publicly. And the Bible says he failed to, to hallow God, to esteem God. And yeah, God forgave him. He's a godly man. He's a man of God. But he did not go in to the promised land. And Samuel, yes, forgiven, godly man, but what about his sons? When you read about uh, his sons, you find that they didn't really serve the Lord, and yet Samuel still put them in that place of, of power and position, and he shouldn't have done that. That actually contributed to the nation of Israel asking for a king. And so all, all we're saying is, you know, um, praise God for his forgiveness, but whatever you do, you don't go into sin with eyes wide open. Don't mess around. Don't, you know, take this lightly. Because, yes, he's a God who forgives, but he's holy. And, and what we find right here is that, you know, he took vengeance on their deeds. And so, verse 9, exalt the Lord our God and worship at his holy hill. Now, that's interesting. Where's the holy hill? I think of Calvary. I don't know about you, but that's a good place to worship, huh? Psalm 100 is a psalm of thanksgiving. And we read in verse 1, Make a, a joyful shout to the Lord, all you lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. So can you guys make a joyful shout? You're like, no, I did that last week. <laughs> Come on. Come. Yeah. All right, Henry, you started us off, man. Come on. Come on. No, I'm just joking. You guys won't do it. All right, <laughs> All right here we go. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we have so much to be joyful for. We really do. Um, verse 1, what do we do? Uh, we make a shout for joy, uh, joyful shout to the Lord. Who does it? It says, all you lands, right? You serve the Lord with, with gladness, you know? Not because we, we got to, but because we get to, right? I mean, what a blessing it is to serve the Lord. I pray you never come to a place in your life where whatever he's calling you to do, you do with drudgery, 
You know, um, no, we should do it with delight. I remember uh, reading uh, John Corson. He said that when I look around me, uh, all the, the, the men I admire are men who serve the Lord. He said, and when I look forward, I see that my Jesus will reward me for everything I do for him, even if it's just a cup of water I give to a child. And then he said, when I look behind me, however, I notice that the enemy, he attacks those on the outskirts, those who are straggling, those who are not serving. And so what he was just saying is, man, I want to be in the thick of things. And so, you know, when we serve the Lord uh, with gladness, come before his presence uh, with singing. And so we come into his presence. Why? It says there in verse 3, because he's our our maker, he's our shepherd, Uh, we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. And so it's amazing that we have a God who not only created us, but he cares for us, right? And that's why Psalm 95 in verse 6, it says, Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. And we see the way he made us in Genesis 2-7. The Bible says, The Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. And so God made us. He made us with his hands. We read that in Psalm 119, verse 73. It says, Your hands have made me and fashioned me. And then Psalm 139, if you get a chance, I encourage you to read verses 13 through 16. And it talks about how when you were in your mother's womb, he fashioned you and he knit you together. And, you know, you're not a a mistake. You know, everything about you is custom made for the calling upon your life. And so God makes us. God maintains us. God is our shepherd. We have so much to be grateful for. So, so what do we do? In verse 4, it says, Enter his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name. Why? For the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, and his truth endures to all generations. You know, and some say the, the gates there in verse 4 would be the gates to Jerusalem. And then the courts would be the courts of the temple. And so you go to Jerusalem and you go to the temple and, you know, to spend that time with him, you know, thankful to him, blessing his name. And, and, and verse 5, just that the Lord is good. Uh, to me, I think of Romans eight twenty eight, And I know we always come back to that, but just how God works everything together for good, that he will never, ever leave us or forsake us, or let us down in any way. And so we read that God is faithful. And, and verse 5, where it says, For the Lord is good, His mercy is everlasting. Uh, it's interesting, the NIV says, For the Lord is good, and His love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. And so God is, is faithful, huh? Wouldn't you say? God is faithful when Jesus comes back. You remember the tattoo he's going to have on his thigh? He's the, he's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. And it calls, the Bible calls him there, Revelation 19 and 11, faithful and true. And one of the most faithful things that is so wonderful about the Lord is 1 John 1, 9. It says this, that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to do what? 
to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Isn't that cool? That's the God that we serve, you guys. And so last Psalm, Psalm 101, is the Psalm of David. And he says, I will sing of mercy and justice. And I like the way he says, I will sing of mercy. Not for mercy, I will sing of mercy because God has been merciful to me. To you, O Lord, I will sing praises. I will behave wisely in a perfect way. Oh, when will you come to me? I will walk within my house with a perfect heart. Now, it's interesting. This psalm right here, a psalm of David, a lot of people believe it was inaugural psalm. So when he became king, this may have been what he sang, you know, what he shared. And it is seemed to fit that way or maybe early in his reign, you know, but, but he kind of says, this is what I'm going to do, Lord. I will, I, I will sing. I, I will behave wisely in a, in a perfect way. Now, other translations say, I will be careful to live a blameless life. Or one says, I will walk with integrity. Would, would any of you say that tonight? Would any of you be willing to say, Lord, I, I, this is, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to seek you. I, I will behave wisely. I will walk with integrity. I will be careful, God, to live a blameless life. You know, and, and I like the way that David takes it all the way home. He says there, I will walk, notice, within my house with a perfect heart. And that's taking it home, huh, guys? Because I know how a lot of times we have that struggle. Here, you're a different person than you are at home. Because I talk to some of your kids. I'm just joking. <laughs> you know, but wouldn't it be cool if we're like, no more, man. Um, I'm going to live this life of integrity at church and at home, all the way to the core of my heart. That's what we need to say. Because we always know, right? The, the heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. And that's where David was, right? And so verse 3 says, I will set nothing wicked before my eyes. I hate the work of those who fall away. It shall not cling to me. A perverse heart shall depart from me. I will not know wickedness. Now, verse 3 is important. Um, I know a lot of us immediately think of television or phones or screens, um, you know, pornography. I'm not going to set anything wicked before my eyes. And, it, and it's true. And I want to encourage you, be careful what you look at. Be careful what you do with your eyes. You know, um, man, make sure they're not looking at, at girls the wrong way or guys, you know, um, you know, they got to balance. Uh, maybe a good way of saying rolling your eyes. I mean, you know, make sure that you're not setting anything wicked before you. But, but it's interesting. The primary idea is looking upon any form of evil with favor. It's kind of similar to what we read in, about the Lord in Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 13, where it says, You are of pure eyes than to behold evil and cannot look on wickedness. And so how many of you here, have you come to that place in your life where you realize how important your eyes are? How important they are that you don't go looking at things. You don't put, you know, bad images in front of you. Uh, you don't look at things that, that you shouldn't and approve them. 
As a matter of fact, on the contrary, you look at good things. You open up the Bible, right? Um, I, that's why I like the passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, in verse 18, it says, But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. And what that verse teaches is as we're reading our Bibles and we're looking at Jesus, we are becoming more like Jesus. That's what that verse says. And that's why we have to you know, do good things with our eyes. What David is saying here is he's you know, going to be king. I will sing. I will behave. I will set nothing wicked before my eyes. What he's saying is something I think a lot of us want to say tonight. Lord, I just want to come to that place of absolute surrender. Lord, I, I want a clean house. I want a clean heart. I don't want anything to do with what is evil. Uh, verse 4, again, a perverse heart shall depart from me. I will not know wickedness. And whoever secretly slanders his neighbor, him I will destroy. The one who has a haughty look and a proud heart, him I will not endure. My eyes shall be on the faithful of the land, that they may dwell with me. He who walks in a perfect way, he shall serve me. He who works deceit shall not dwell within my house. He who tells lies shall not continue in my presence. Early on in my reign, I will destroy all the wicked of the land that I may cut off all the evildoers from the city of the Lord. And basically what we find is that David promises, as he's going to be king, he promises to build a good and godly team. Because he's not just, it's not just a monarchy. It's a theocratic monarchy. This is God's, these are God's people. And so as he's forming a team, as he's, you know, you know people are going to be in the palace there, in the, in the king's cabinet. He's not going to be putting up with people who are talking about other people, people who are lying, people who are backbiting, people who are slandering, people who are wicked. No, he says, no, I won't put up with that, Lord. He vowed not to tolerate any slander or backbiting among the brothers or deception or lies. It even says that he was determined to destroy them. Look at verse 5. Whoever secretly slanders his neighbor, him I will destroy. And and other translations say put to silence or, or not tolerate. But the King James Version says, I will cut off. I mean, David was going into this saying, I'm not going to mess around with people, you know, in, in my cabinet. And matter of fact, it will even extend out into the kingdom that if I see, we see people, they're out of line. Lord, um, we're going to, we're going to try to make this a holy people. So it, it doesn't mean, you know, for us, you're thinking, well, then Manny, how do you live in the world? Um, it's, it's a tough place to be, but for us, I know that we have to be holy and in ministry, we, we, we look for people who love Jesus. And, you know, if they don't, then we work with them. And, and we try to, you know, do the right thing, bringing them to that place of knowing who God is and how awesome he is. But not just sloppy agape, but, you know, David here is saying, Lord, I, I want to be a good king. And so what he does is he cuts off all those that would work contrary 
to what God wants. And at the end of the day, uh, David wanted a, a nation that loved the Lord. Uh, he wanted a saved city. We read uh, there in verse 8. And so, um, you know, the, the Bible talks about how scoffers set a city aflame. But the Bible says in Proverbs 22.10 that if we cast out the scoffer, then strife and reproach will cease, contention will leave. And so we have to be so careful with that. One of the things I noticed in closing, looking at this psalm, he keeps saying, I will, I will, I will, I will. This is what I will do. Not my will. I will do your will. And so uh, for us, you know, as Christians, that's got to be our heart. And if you're not a Christian, if you're struggling here today, tonight, I pray that, man, you would know that it's kind of interesting You know, in one sense, Christianity is God proposing to you, saying, will you marry me? Will you come to me? Will you give me your heart? Will you surrender your life to me? And and all you have to do is say, I will. That's all. Be willing to. And if you're willing to, God will forgive you, and God will give you a brand new start. If you're not a Christian, man, he'll write your name in the book of life. That's how good God is. And so um, lots to study tonight. If you're here and you're struggling, don't leave condemned. Don't leave beat up. Don't leave uh, without really just getting with God. I mean, we know He is. And sometimes it's a hard thing to hear how holy He is, how holy He is. But you got to understand also how loving he is. And that's why you're here tonight, you guys. You know, one of the things that I, I struggle with, um, and we can have the musicians come up. Uh, one of the things that I struggle with a lot is, Lord, it's kind of a frustrating thing that on this side of time, I'll never really be the man that I want to be. That, that's a hard truth to swallow because... You know, we're, we're just human because we fail, because we sin in different ways. But it's so cool to know who you are in Christ. And so I pray, you guys, that we would know that, that we would know the blood of Jesus, and that we would allow that not to give us a license to sin, but to wash us and to give us a fresh start. And that little by little, like we're reading today, as we're looking at Him, as we're reading His Word, that there would be growth of that new man. More and more like him, you guys. That's my prayer.